You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Welcome to Kingsway. We're super glad you're here with us. If you're watching at home online, we're super glad you're here with us. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we have currently... 650 people a week who tune in to our services who are not actually in the building. So they're people who are maybe in other parts of the state, they work, they're on vacation, they're sick, they're at home, whatever it is, and uh, they're tuning in, they're watching right now. Not only that, but the vast, vast, vast majority of people who come to Kingsway come online before they ever show up in person. So they watch us for a week or two or three. In fact, the gentleman who was baptized last week, I think his name was Marcos, he visited with us online for a few weeks, friend invited him before he showed up in person, and then he just gave his life to Christ last Sunday. And uh, it's just, yeah, you can stop, pause, say thank you, God. It's been really cool. So in 2022, uh, we'll celebrate all this in, in the beginning of 23, but uh, we believe we're gonna have well over 800 people who have visited Kingsway. Now, here's the thing. The only way we know you visit is if you tell us you visit, which usually means you have kids and you go to our kids' ministry and ha, 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 we got you because you gotta check them in and get a security tag. But that means there are people who bring their kids to service and we don't know, or they come with a friend and they're an adult and they don't have kids and we don't know. So there could very well be over 1,000 people who visited Kingsway over 2022, and uh, I say that because it is humbling to me that we just got to share Jesus with those people, and some of you, um, in 2022, and so thank you. Thank you, church, for your ministry. Thank you for those who are giving us a chance to speak into your life, and thank you, God, for letting us be a part of what you're doing in this world. Now, the reason we're going to the book of Genesis is that. What I decided was I originally had a message planned for this Sunday, and I took it out. I felt like, okay, so for my last Sunday in the book of Genesis, I just want to summarize the big picture of the book. And I thought that video did a really good job of telling the story of what we've covered for 16 weeks. So if you're visiting and you came somewhere in the middle or towards the end, you get the big picture. But I want to do this. I want to I want to eventually get into three weird stories in the book of Genesis, most of which we didn't even talk about. We just kind of briefly touched on and moved on. I want to dig deep and I want to point to where that ended, that video ended, which is well, that's what the rest of the Bible is for. I wanna tell you what the rest of the Bible says about the stories that are set up in the book of Genesis. Before I get into that, though, let me just tell you two quick stories that'll set the stage for us. So first one is, um, I told you a few weeks ago, talking about Joseph and suffering, that my leg has been hurting, and it has been hurting. Um, it's a long story, um, but I've been having significant leg pain. So I called the Cleveland Clinic because um, uh, I thought, well, this is what, 30 years ago when I broke my pelvic bone, that that's where I went. And um, the doctor at the time, who was like the doctor for the Browns and the Indians, he said, this is one of the five worst breaks I've ever seen. And um, maybe he was right, maybe he was wrong, but I do know this, it could be why the Browns and Indians were so bad. You know, maybe he wasn't very good at his job. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm joking, I have no idea the doctor's name. So I called the Cleveland Clinic and I thought to myself, I'm gonna, I'll go back there, you know, they're really well known, really well respected, and see what they have to say. And uh, they never called me back. So what's really cool about that though is God arranged a conversation. So the lady who took my phone call, the intake call, we're going through all my information so that she could try to set an appointment for me. And um, she said, where do you work? I said, Kingsway Christian Church. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. She said, uh-oh. I said, oh, what do you mean by uh-oh? She goes, no, no, you probably don't want to talk to me. And I just said, are you mad at God? For the next 20 minutes, we weren't talking about my leg, my injury, or an appointment. We just talked about God Amen. and her. Again, they never called me back. So as far as I'm concerned, this was a God-ordained appointment. God had arranged for me to talk to her. But here's one thing she said, and if you're watching online, because we typically put our 11 o'clock service on YouTube and other places, 
I won't say her name, but you know who you are. If you just happen to tune in from that one guy and you went and looked up his church and you just happen to be watching, she said, I just don't understand how God can be good and yet the things that have happened to me have happened to me. And she said, I don't understand when people say God will never give you more than you can handle. First of all, God never said that. That is a platitude that we came up with to put on a plaque because it sounds good. That doesn't mean God will give you more than you can handle. What God promises us is that while in this world you will have trouble, take heart because he has overcome the world in Jesus Christ. So he never says life won't be hard or difficult or painful or whatever. She did go on to say, you know, just being honest, a lot of my pain has been my fault, some things that I have done, choices I have made, but there's a whole slew of it that other people have done to me or have just happened to me, and it's not really fair. The book of Genesis deals with all of that really, really well because it shows us how we got here, what the world is like, and what God is doing in the middle of it. Let me tell you one more quick story, though. About that same time, it was about 24 hours later, I had a phone call set up. One of my really good friends, uh, a former student of mine when I was in Colorado, he's one of our missionaries in Peru, and he's been working with the home that we support down there. And he's going through this transition as the home is changing, the Peru is changing the laws, and blah, blah, blah. But he said to me, he said, Matt, I need a pastor. And I said, why? And without going into the details, it'd be too personal to share. In essence, he's seen the worst of the worst of the worst. Just to give you an idea, at this home in Peru that we support, I mean, they're, they're receiving four, five, six, seven-year-old kids at times who have been sold by their parents to other people for their pleasure for alcohol money or drug money or just to put food on the table or whatever it might be. Now, there are other examples of things that are just as bad or worse. I've told some stories about some kids at the home whose parents uh, were working in the coca fields, and when they realized what they were doing, decided to stop, their conscience convicted them, and the drug dealers came and killed the whole family, except for a couple of kids who weren't there that day, and they were hiding in the home. And he said, I've seen the worst of the worst. I've heard the worst of the worst of the worst, and I'm struggling. I keep serving God, but I'm struggling to put the pieces together. How can God be good? Well, today we cannot answer all of that. What I wanna do today is give you some anchors for your soul that we see clearly in Genesis and fulfilled specifically in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So without any further ado, what I want you to get is this. The message of Genesis is God has transformed our evil into something good. That video did a really good job of showing that. God keeps making these promises, the family's all messed up, but God keeps transforming it into something good. Good. And this kicks off in the book of Genesis in the very, very beginning. So God made the sun, the moon, the stars. It was beautiful. It was powerful. And he put it all in its place. And then he took one man, Adam, the first man, and he made him outside the garden. But he built this beautiful garden for Adam to rest in. And he put him in the garden. And it says over and over again, Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame. Adam was alone at first in the garden. He looked around at the lions and the elephants, the tigers and the bears. And he said to himself, why do all of them have a counterpart? But I don't. And he was lonely and sad. And so God put him in a deep sleep and he took out of his side woman and he made Eve for Adam. And they ran around. And it says they walked in the cool of the day with God. And there was a beautiful relationship between them and God and each other. And there was no sin or deception or evil or lies or greed or immorality or lust to destroy that. And then one day, the serpent shows up. And the problem with what's happening here is God placed only one rule in the whole garden. Enjoy, be fruitful, multiply, enjoy each other, enjoy my creation, enjoy it all. Do Just, just love each other, be great. But there's this one tree, don't eat from it. 
And there's a lot of things they don't understand. They don't, they don't know deception. They don't know lies. They are innocent like your children. You know when you have children and you tell them, hey, you can play in the backyard, but don't go in the front yard. And your three-year-old, your five-year-old, your eight-year-old, they say, I don't understand why. My kids do this all the time. You say, you just have to trust me. There are bad things in the world. And you know you can't explain it all to them. It wouldn't make sense to them. But you're saying, trust me. That's essentially what God did with Adam and Eve. Trust me, don't eat from this tree. But they didn't trust him. And part of the reason is this snake shows up, the serpent. Now, I will just say, people have been debating for years. Is this a literal snake or a metaphoric snake? And I think the answer is yes. I think there's a literal snake that shows up, but I think we are given clues that the snake is more than a snake. For instance, in Hebrew, the word for snake sounds a whole lot like the word for fiery one, fiery one, which is the word seraph which if you know anything about the Bible, seraphim is a specific type of angel. I think we are given clues in the Hebrew. While this may be a literal snake, there is so much more going on behind the picture. And now what we're seeing is a fall of heaven and earth. There is some sort of great battle going on behind the scenes that we can't see, and it's about to play out in real time right here between Adam and Eve. And when God comes down and he hands out these curses, what's fascinating to me is he hands out curses to the ground and he hands out curses to the, to the serpent. He doesn't hand out curses to Adam and Eve, but he does hand out discipline. I don't have time to go through all that. We covered some of it earlier in the series. I've covered it in other messages, but let me just show you one of it, one of it, one of them real quick. Genesis 3:15. To the serpent he says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel." This is the first what we call predictive prophecy in the Bible. Predictive prophecy is where God tells you something that's going to happen, and then he makes it happen before it happens. In this case, he's the first prophecy in the Bible that points to Jesus himself. You will strike his heel, he will crush your head. It's going to look like you have wounded him. And what does a snake bite have but venom? It's going to look like maybe you even killed him. He's still going to defeat you. And we know this became true in Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. And Satan is celebrating, I got him, I win. God became man and I took him out. And then on the third day, he rose again. And he took the weapon away from Satan because now Satan doesn't have dominion over death because Jesus has taken it back and said, now those who die don't have to remain dead because in me, they can now come alive. And this is, yeah, you can stop and clap for Jesus. You're going to do that a lot in this service. <laughs> All right. But this is powerful because predictive prophecy is what sets aside the God of the Bible from every other religion in the world. So I get it. One of the things today is like God's a great moral, or Jesus is a great moral teacher. He's a great philosopher. He's a, you know, he's a good man. You should probably listen to things he has to say. That's what Gandhi said. No, no, he's so much more than that. He is the fulfillment of all things. There are over 300 prophecies that came true in Jesus Christ. The odds of that happening are so astronomical, you cannot calculate them. Things specifically like he'll be born of a virgin. Things specifically like how he would be crucified. Or even in this case, that when he was wounded, it would look like the story was over. Now that's not all he said, because in the very next verse, and, or sorry, not the very next verse, but later on, 
Verse 21, 23, it says this, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Now let's just stop here for a second. There's so much I could say. I just need to keep moving because I want to get into some of those other things. But Notice the first death in the entire Bible comes after our sin. And what that shows us is the costly nature of our rebellion against God. When we trespassed, when we sinned, when we rebelled against God, it was going to require death and blood to cover us. So God took the animals, took an animal skin, death occurred, and that animal covered them. This is where we get the idea of what's called atonement. You may have heard of that phrase, maybe you've used it before. What does it mean to atone for something? Well, it literally means the covering. And what we should see in this is God is taking personal responsibility to fix the problem. Who created the problem? Adam and Eve. Who was a part of the fall? The enemy, Satan. Who's taking responsibility to fix the problem? God. Because that's who he is. Now, when we jump down here to this other part, it says God banished them from the garden to go out and work the ground that's now cursed because of the sin. We talked about this in depth earlier in this series, but God placed these angels with fiery swords to protect the way back to the tree of life, the other key tree that's in the garden. Because if Adam and Eve would have come back into the garden, eaten from the tree of life in their sinful state, they would have been stuck for eternity in their sin. But God didn't want to leave us stuck in our sin. He desired to come and set us free. But how? How would he set us free? Now, I know if you don't know your Bible really well, let me just help explain this. So Genesis is the first book in the Bible. There are 66 total individual books. The last book is Revelation. The first 39 books are what we call the Old Testament. The next 27 books are what we call the New Testament. The New Testament testifies to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So does the Old Testament All of it is pointing forward to moments in time, of course, that happen in real time with real people, real kings and real prophets, but they're all pointing forward to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So when we later get into the New Testament and we're a couple decades, Jesus has died now, he's rose from the dead and a guy named Paul, the apostle Paul, he's going around and he's planting churches and Christianity is just beginning in this fledgling movement over in the ancient Palestine 2000 years ago. He writes a letter called Romans. And in Romans chapter five, he says this, just as one trespass or one breaking of the law, that was Adam's sin, I added the parentheses to help you understand what he's saying. So just as one trespass, Adam's sin, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, that's Jesus' obedience. So we are told that Jesus came as one born under the law. He fulfilled the law completely. Everything God required of us, he did it to a T. In fact, he even, it says in Luke, we'll look at this in the early in the new year, he obeyed his mom and dad in every way. Have your kids successfully done that today? Today, amen. So Jesus is different, but not only obedient in fulfilling God's law, but all the way to death. Resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So even though when Adam in the garden sinned and did the thing God told him not to do, God said, I'm going to solve the problem. 
And what we should get from that is God disciplines his children, but he also relentlessly pursues them in love. And we see this and we feel it in our everyday life. And it makes us wrestle with, can we trust God? When he is pursuing us and chasing us and winning us, and yet still holds us accountable for our sin, and yet he never leaves us or forsakes us, we see just how faithful he is. And it all points to Jesus. But let's get into a weirder story. Um, This one happens with a guy named Abraham. Abraham's name was Abram and then it's changed. And in... um, Later on, middle of Genesis, God keeps telling Abraham, you're gonna be the father of many. That video showed that well. But Abraham's getting older and older and older and it's not happening. And he's like, hey God, I don't understand all the science like we would understand today, but I understand how it works and I'm way past that point. And my wife is kind of past that point. I don't understand how this is gonna happen or when it's gonna happen. How am I gonna be the father of many? And I got no kids. Like God, you're gonna have to do something. How do I know you're gonna be a man of your word? And here's what God tells him. God says, I want you to go. I want you to take these animals and a heifer and a goat, and I can't remember all the things. Take a pigeon and, and a dove, and I want you to cut these animals in half, not the birds, and you're gonna make like half the bodies on one side and lay them down. And you're like, this is so weird. If you read along with Genesis with us, you got to that part and you went, I can't wait until they explain this. Brett covered it briefly, and I'm gonna cover it briefly, and there's just things we don't understand about what's happening in that story. But what we do know is happening is this is part of the way that a contract would be made back in the day. So it would be like this. So you wanna make a business deal with somebody, you sit down with them, you talk about all the things, right? You're gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. What happens if you don't keep up your end of the bargain? Well, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, I'm allowed to do this. I could sue you, you owe me whatever, whatever. And then vice versa, right? Like if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, what can you do? You can throw me to jail, you can do whatever. Okay, we sign on the deadline, we get it notarized, we're good to go, that's the contract. That's what's happening here because they didn't have lawyers and all the paperwork. Basically what God says is, you go do this, you cut these animals in half, we're gonna lay them down, and then this crazy thing happens. This is in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham gets put into, it says, a deep and terrifying or dreadful sleep. And while he's in that sleep, he has this vision. In Genesis 15, 17, it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And you read that and you go, this is why I gave up on my Bible. I have no idea what's happening here. And I go, I get it, I get it. That's why I get paid to explain it. (laughs) Here's what's happening. What would happen back then is they would take these animals, cut them in half, and arrange the pieces, and the two parties would walk through the pieces together. And it was a way to say, this is what you can do to me if I don't keep up my end of the deal. You can cut me in half and take my life and kill me. Except if you remember in the story, Abraham falls asleep. And in that sleep, he sees a smoking pot walk through the pieces. What's happening here? You remember in the book of Exodus, the next book in the Bible, Moses is talking with God face to face, but he can't see him. He's like talking and he hears a voice, but he's not seeing him. He says, God, I have one request. He's like, what do you want? He says, I just want to see you. And God goes, Moses, you can't handle the truth. Like there's no way you could carry the weight of my presence. You ever see Indiana Jones, the original one? And I know the, the graphics are terrible. You remember that scene where they open the Ark of the Covenant and everybody's flesh melts off? Like, 
That's what's going to happen to you, Moses. You are going to melt. My glory, my power, my presence is so overwhelming, you will not be able to handle it. See, I think sometimes when we think about this, we lose sight of who we're talking about. Because we keep talking about God's love and God's faithfulness and God cares for us and Jesus, 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 we lose sight that we are talking about the king of the universe. We are talking about he spoke into being stars and planets and black holes and nebula that we can't even see because they're in distant parts of the galaxy. We can't even build a telescope big enough to look at them, let alone a spaceship big enough to get to them. And they are so big and so powerful and so out there. I, I, I could spend an hour trying to illustrate this. Let me spend two minutes. So this is our sun. Did you know that you can literally fit like a million Earths inside that sun? Right here. That's about approximately how big it is. And this thing on the grand scale of the universe is tiny in comparison, tiny. There are bigger, there are stronger, there are brighter, there are more powerful versions out there. And yet this little ball of energy puts out something like, and and I've read different numbers, but something like a, a thousand or a million hydrogen bombs worth of energy a second, a second. Now, if you don't know what a hydrogen bomb is, a hydrogen bomb is a thousand times stronger than an atom bomb. Remember back when we, you know, we bombed Japan, not a, not a shining moment in humanity's history, but do you remember that? Like you've seen the mushroom cloud go up a thousand times stronger. And this thing is putting out it's such a huge number. I think it's a million every second. You can Google me later and find out if I'm wrong and text Brett. Okay. Anyway, the point is this thing is massive. It is powerful and it's nowhere near as big. There are black holes in our universe. If we got anywhere close, they would suck us in and make that thing go away. And God created those just from a word from his mouth that took no energy of his whatsoever. He was not tired at the end of this. He moved on to the next part of creation. So we should not be shocked at all that Abraham fell into a terrifying and dreadful sleep. The presence of God came down. And whatever all these elements mean, I don't know. But Abraham felt the weight of the presence of God and he was scared. But then God himself walked through the dead bodies. And that was God's way of saying, I'm guaranteeing with my own life, Abraham, that if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, I will keep up my end of the bargain. This is what you can do to me, Abraham, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain. But oh, by the way, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, this is what all of humanity could do to me, and it is. Because when Jesus was hung on a cross, he was hung on a cross because God was guaranteeing that through Abraham, all nations would be blessed, even when Abraham's faith struggled. And even when yours too. You could clap, do not feel guilty for that. (laughs) Second Timothy 2.13, Paul also writes this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Man, that is powerful. Because what that tells me is that God is guaranteeing my salvation, not based off what I do, based off what he has done. And when he looks at me, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, he considers me his own. Like I'm literally his. In fact, this is why Paul says in Galatians chapter three, he says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. 
Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Let's stop for a second. There are many groups of people in the world, many nations in the world today, scripturally speaking, kind of breaks it down into two big categories, Jews, Gentiles. You're either directly in the line of Abraham by birth, Jewish, or you're outside of the Jewish and you're Gentile. And what Paul's trying to get to is, God said through Abraham, all nations would be blessed, not just his family lineage. And we get it, like, but how do we explain everybody else? And Paul is saying, because of faith in Jesus Christ. That's why God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He would go on to verse 15, he'd say this, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. When we say all nations will be blessed, Paul's simply trying to say, Paul sometimes uses very confusing words. Paul's trying to say, just like any contract you make, it's, it's ratified, right? It becomes a legal document. When God said this to Abraham, it was ratified because God spoke it. And you can trust him. You can take him at his word. He walked through the pieces. But he didn't say to all of Abraham's descendants, that would be Jewish people. Anybody who could track their lineage back to Abraham, then I'm good to go. No, 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 no. He said to your seed. It pointed to one person, Jesus Christ himself. So when Jesus shows up, he's the fulfillment of the promise that somehow, somehow, God is going to use that family to restore the world back to the garden. That's where all of this is going. God wants to bring heaven to earth again. He wants to reunite heaven and earth. Remember the prayer that Jesus taught? On earth as it is in heaven. The goal is that God can again walk with us, be with us. And we live in the land of the already and the not yet. Through the power of the Holy Spirit inside us, because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, we have God with us right here, right now. But there's still pain in this world. There's still suffering. Evil people still do evil things. My goodness, sometimes I do evil things. And that's the point. We're close, but we're not quite there. It's not been resurrected just quite yet. But there's one more story. We didn't get to cover this in the Genesis series. We find this one. As Isaac is leaving home, he's deceived his daddy. Sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Jacob is leaving home. He's deceived his daddy, Isaac, and he's going out on his own. And he's in the desert and he's by himself. And he lays his head down on a rock one night and God shows up to him in a dream. And in this dream, something crazy happens. Here we go. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 11, it says this. When Jacob reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And again, we just skipped that. So if you were reading Genesis along with us, you went, well, Matt, somebody tell me what is happening here. They have made entire movies about this. Jacob's Ladder, 
Like more than one. You remember when you were a kid and you did the, like that string thing? I have no idea how to do it. And like, here, look, Jacob's Ladder. But I don't know what that means, right? But that's what we called it. It's become such a part of our culture that we use the phrase Jacob's Ladder without any understanding what we're talking about. And this is super, super cool. Okay, so one of the stories we didn't cover in the book of Genesis was the story of the Tower of Babel, which we saw in the video at the beginning of the message. So if you're watching online and you skip that, go back and watch that. Okay. But what happened in the Tower of Babel is the entire world unified. They had common language at the time and they unified and they wanted to build a tower. And it says that the top of which would reach the heavens. And the goal is whatever they thought they were going to do, they were going to storm the gates of heaven and take charge. However they thought that was going to happen. Now we know, we look back and we go, well, that's stupid. We took a spaceship up there. God wasn't up there in a house on the top of a cloud going, well, I wonder when you'd get up here. We got up there and went, oh, he was bigger than we thought. It's bigger than we thought. And it makes us feel so tiny, we start envisioning aliens have to fill this thing because it's so massive. Whether I'm right or wrong, I don't think there are any aliens out there. I don't want to start a whole thing. I don't think there's any out there. I think God is going, I'm bigger than you realize because the heavens declare the glory of God. I think it takes that much space to even try to contain his bigness. But they were going to build a tower to the heavens. They were going to storm the heavens. So God came down and he confused their language and he separated them out. All the languages of the world came out of this moment. And the reason that's powerful is because what God said is, you are not going to take salvation for yourself. You cannot save yourself. You can't get back into heaven on your terms. But I'm going to bring heaven to you. And that's exactly what God is saying to Jacob. Jacob, one day, this promise that was to your dad and to your grandfather, it's gonna come to you. And you're gonna see this ladder going between heaven and earth. And you're gonna see the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder. You're gonna know, you're gonna be a part of this. You're gonna know that I am the Lord. And not because you stormed heaven and took it yourself, but because I gave it to you out of grace. And what's really, really powerful is later in the New Testament, Jesus is recruiting those 12 guys who would follow with him. And he's talking to a guy named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, he's hearing about Jesus from his friends and, and Nathaniel's testing it. He goes, well, where is he from? And his friends go, well, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel, he's thinking in his mind all these Bible prophecies about Jesus. And he goes, Nazareth? Can any of the good come from Nazareth? There's no way. And so the friends are like, just come and see. Just come and see this guy. So they arrange a little meetup. And man, the Chosen TV show does a phenomenal job of this moment. You gotta watch this sometime. And they, they arrange this moment and Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he says, hey, I saw you underneath that fig tree. And Nathaniel goes, my Lord, my God, you have to be the Messiah. Now, we don't know what was happening under that fig tree. We don't know whether he was repenting of a sin or maybe something hard had happened in life and he was crying out in grief or sorrow to God, but he was having a private moment with God under a fig tree. And Jesus said, you were talking to God, I heard you. But there was no one around. How could you have heard me? Because I'm the one you were talking to. And then Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Did anybody else get goosebumps just now? <laughs> now, you may be going, I don't understand. Genesis' first book said one day, Jacob is gonna be a part of this family history where that's gonna happen. Jesus shows up thousands, thousands of years later. And just like the Bible prophesied, he shows up and he says, I'm here. Everything God has ever told you, I'm here. 
All of the wrongs of this world are about to be made right. I'm here. All of the evil that you and everybody else has brought into the world, I'm here. All of your anxiety and questions of concerns, I'm here. All those times you've wondered, is God good? Can I trust him? I'm here. I'm here. Heaven has met earth. The two are becoming one again. Now we live in the land of the already and the not yet. It's happening right here, right now. God is birthing forth a new thing, a new beginning, a new kingdom. But one day, one day it's gonna be more final than it is right now. One day he's gonna come back and he's gonna set up his eternal kingdom and he will throw away all the evildoers, the book of Revelation says. They will, all evil will be removed from the earth. So we will never have to worry about fear or anxiety or lies or deceit ever again. He will literally take his thumb and wipe the tears from our eyes himself, our father, the one who birthed the black holes, the one who birthed the sun. He will come down and put his fingers on our face and say, I'm going to take this away from you. You can trust me. In Revelation chapter 21, verse one, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. The sea was a terrifying place. The sea is where your family members went out to do business and they died and they never came home. And people have always been terrified of the waters. But in heaven, where there's waters, there won't even be a ripple on the ocean because in the presence of God, there is no evil. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's the church. That's you. That's me in the presence of God forever. And he goes on, John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. Amen. This ladder from the heavens has been built on a cross. But one day, there won't be any need for a ladder. Because our King Jesus is just gonna reign here with us forever. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And church, that is our hope. That's why we keep showing up every Sunday. That's why we keep worshiping. That's why we keep being good when the world goes bad. That's why we keep doing the right thing even when it's easier not to. That's why we forgive when it's really stinking hard to forgive. Because we believe everything that's been said today. So whether your Adam and sin is ruining you and ruining the lives of others, God wants to cover your sin. He does it in the name of Jesus Christ. Or whether you're Abraham and you're wondering if I can trust God with my day-to-day -day and God's saying, I'm making this covenant with you, I am going to bring this to completion. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can count on me. Whether you're Jacob and you're alone and isolated and you just don't know how it's going to play out. And God says, trust me. I am building a story that all points to Jesus and he is going to unify heaven and earth in him. So look, I don't know where this message lands exactly for you. For some of you, it's gonna just be knowledge and being able to put the pieces together and you've never been able to figure it out. 
For some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard who Jesus is and how for thousands of years, hundreds of prophecies have told us what he would do when he came. For some of you, it's the hope of knowing this world is not our home. It is passing away, but a new home is coming. But here's what I wanna do. I want this message to anchor something deep in our heart that fuels a passion to become more like Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And I'm gonna pray. And when I'm done praying, we're gonna sing. And here's what I know. Some of you know this song. You can't wait to sing it. Some of you have heard it, but you don't know it. And some of you have never heard of a Christian song before today anyway. And no matter where you are, I'm gonna ask you, when you're ready, you start singing it. It may take you the half of the song to get it. It's pretty simple. Because it all just points to the fact that God really, really loves us. Let me pray for that. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir in this place. It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, and especially as we get closer to Thanksgiving and Christmas. May we not lose sight of the fact that you are redeeming all of us to your son, Jesus. Everything points to him. May we point to him too, right now, with our voices. May we lift up our voices and sing, thank you, God, for being so good to us. Thank you for really loving us. In Jesus' name.